Welcome to the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast, where we invite you into a journey of healing and personal transformation that will radically change your divorce experience, heal your heart while refining your character, and set you up to be effective and feel empowered as you navigate the practical and emotional challenges of divorce. I'm your host, Karen McMahon, founder of Journey Beyond Divorce. My divorce brought me to my knees, and it also transformed me and set me on this path to help you. Our team of JBD coaches support men and women to engage in divorce with more calm, clarity, and confidence through our one-on-one coaching, group programs, online courses, and free resources. Parents need to keep that in mind, uh, keep the, the, uh, the long game in mind. Um, what I often would suggest and do suggest to people is they put something in their agreement uh, that says no agreement uh, will be successful unless the parents are flexible and show flexibility in the best interests of their children. So right away, you've got a language that shows that the parents understand uh, and appreciate the fact that that you have to be flexible, um, that circumstances will change. The other thing you can do is you can actually put a provision in um, that you will review certain parts of your parenting plan. Parenting plan, I mean that the schedule with the kids and decision making, uh, how the decisions are made and all the rest, um, that you can review it uh, at certain intervals if either, if either parent wants it. Welcome to the Divorce Roadmap series, comprised of 24 episodes designed to be your guide through each leg of the practical divorce journey. Be powerfully prepared as top experts in the field advise you on each logistical stage from the agonizing question of should I stay or should I go through the complex legal, financial, and parenting choices before you to your future plans for housing, budgeting, and co-parenting post-divorce. about children and divorce is so critical. Uh, One thing is that studies have shown that uh, children can really experience significant emotional damage as a result of divorce. They don't have to, but they can. Uh, Some of the studies say that children of divorce earn lower grades than their peers. And there's also something that says that they're three times more likely to need psychological help. And so it's so important as our listeners are going through their divorce to understand what you can do to minimize or avoid that damage. In our last show, uh, we shared about a child's bill of rights that guides parents on healthy ways to interact uh, with and around your children during the divorce. 
in your home privately. Today, we're talking to Larry Sareski about the choices available and the impact of your choices on how you go through the legal process. And we're going to be focusing both on the typical or standard divorce as well as those high conflict divorces. So I'm really excited to have Larry. Larry Sareski is a veteran matrimonial lawyer and mediator. He's also the author of Divorce Simply Stated, which is an Amazon number one bestseller. And he's also the writer and director of the telly award-winning short film, Talk to Strangers, which is being used across the country to prevent unnecessary custody battles. So welcome, Larry. Thanks, Karen. It's great to be with you. Larry, before we jump into this topic, can you just talk for a minute or two about how you got into family law and what made you focus so strongly on children? Well, family law, um, unlike other specialties in the law, gives you the opportunity to use a lot of what you know uh, about other areas like taxes, uh, real estate, uh, and, and put it all together uh, to help families uh, when families need help the most. Um, as far as my focus on kids, it's, uh, to me, it's impossible to be a family lawyer uh, without focusing on kids. Um, when you realize uh, the impact that uh, divorces can have on kids, uh, I don't think you have any choice. I always uh, felt I didn't want to um, be part of a, uh, a group of lawyers who uh, were asked later by a generation of kids, where were the adults during my parents' divorce? To me, all of the adults, and that includes the parents and the professionals at the courthouse and the lawyers, have a responsibility to the children. Yeah, that's such a great point. And as you're speaking, I'm remembering my parents divorced uh, when I was uh, in my mid-teens. And I remember it was so different back then. Like my aunts would come and say, you know, just be quiet and, you know, don't cause any problems. Your mom's going through such a hard time. And now years later, I think, wow, it was just it was so focused on on what mom and dad were going through as if we weren't going through it. And I think there's so much more sensitivity. And I hope that today's show brings even more to our listeners in terms of the impact that uh, that choices will have on their children now and in the future. So let's start with uh, just under typical circumstances. Why do you see that? Uh, let's talk about some of the reasons why people fight for custody, because the, the real issue is in the custody battle, and I'm using that word purposely, um, that, that problems can happen. So what occurs that causes uh, parents to, in standard divorces, to fight, fight for custody? Well, uh, the prospect for the parent who uh, looks to be the one who is not going to be what we call the primary residential parent, uh, that is the children are not going to be primarily living in that parent's house, um, many of those parents panic. 
Um, they uh, are worried, and understandably so, um, that they're going to lose the relationship with their children uh, that they've built, uh, that they're going to miss out on uh, the activities and, uh, of the children on a daily basis, uh, everything from putting kids to bed to going to a soccer match because they don't get noticed, all that kind of thing. So uh, one important thing for parents to do at the beginning is to talk to each other about how this all is is going to work. Um, from the other parents standpoint, uh, it's often a question, well, my kids' schedules are going to be disrupted by this visitation schedule, by this parenting plan. How's that all going to work? You know, am I going to not be able to have my kids on the weekend when, you know, all the fun stuff happens? Am I going to just uh, be the one to make them do their homework and get up in the morning and, and uh, then the other parent has them uh, during what they call fun time? Uh, <coughs> that's uh, anxiety-provoking as well. And, you know, if you put that together with just the overall anxiety of a divorce, uh, that's a whole lot of worry. So what, what I hear you saying and certainly what I see with so many of my clients is that there's just a huge foundation of fear around our children. And whether you're the moneyed spouse who's out working or, um, or a stay-at-home parent, it's understandable and natural that you would have all of these different fears because of all of the changes that are about to take place. The changing in your parenting and your time with your children is, is just enormous. It's overwhelming. And, and so there's a lot of fear that's understandable. The other thing that, um, that I'm hearing you say is that we may all approach it with limiting beliefs about, um, I'm not going to be able to see my kids or I'm just going to be, you know, the bad guy and, and the other spouse is going to get all the fun time. And so all of these fears and limiting beliefs can be really triggering. And when we're triggered and our emotions are very high, as we've talked about in so many of our shows, it's almost like you don't have access to your logical mind when you're so emotionally triggered. And and my hope is that today, as we begin to talk about this, um, that that at listeners will will notice and kind of take a step back and and give themselves the time to to consider all of their choices. Yeah, that's absolutely so. And I think anyone who's listening right now uh, has taken the right first step um, because education, educating yourself about how it all works. Um, you know, this is a foreign, often frightening world of courts and lawyers that all of a sudden is central um, to your life. Uh, Educating yourself about how it all works uh, is is critical because then you start to realize that there are resources out there, um, that there are all sorts of um, plans and, and uh, uh, ways that you can structure how you're going to divide your time with the kids and how you're going to make decisions uh, with respect to them and how you're going to continue to co-parent um, in the future. Um, and that it's not just uh, a choice of, well, you know, I don't have the kids and uh, you do kind of thing. So education is the first step. That's why I wrote the book. And um, I would uh, 
suggests strongly that another excellent source um, for people is uh, the web the website of your own state's court system. Um, almost all of those websites have really good plain language pamphlets. Uh, you can get them online um, that will tell you how things work in your county. Um, and, and that's pretty important. Then you start to get an understanding of that. And then you go from there to start uh, looking into what professionals, what divorce professionals are available to help you. So let's look at let's look at um, at first, you said the best way to start out is to begin co-parenting in a cooperative way right from the beginning. What are some of the tips that you would give our listeners in terms of these early conversations, right? So, so tensions are high. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of potentially hostility. And yet the one thing you both do is love your children. So, so what are those conversations that, that they should have early on? Well, you, you hit on a critical point. Um, you start from a commonality. You start from a common interest, which is the kids. You both love your children. And what I uh, believe in strongly is uh, what's called a parenting goal statement. You know, you and your spouse uh, got married. You, you shared beliefs and you shared uh, goals. Um, and you still have shared beliefs. And what a good way to uh, start this co-parent, new co-parenting relationship um, to write those down. Let's, let's talk about the things that, that we agree on. Like we don't want to put the kids in the middle. We don't want to use the kids as messengers. We don't want the kids uh, to, to be exposed to, you know, the, the hostility that we may feel at times for each other um, and, and on and on. And actually write those down on a list, uh, a parenting goal statement, um, and, you know, refer to it as you go. And I think that, that I've seen it be really helpful with some parents uh, who can gently remind each other that, you know, what the other one is doing might be violating uh, that, that parenting goal statement. Right. And I just want to jump in here. And if if you're listening and you did not hear our last show, uh, what Larry's talking about is exactly what the whole show is about. The Child Bill of Rights has, I think it's 10 key points that you want to abide by. And so that's, that is absolutely a great way to start. Assuming that they have the child bill of rights and they're like, they're, they're working on how they interact at home or in front of the children. You know, one of the things that, that I find is that there's a lot of limiting beliefs. If I'm the stay at home parent, I've had so many clients who say, well, my spouse can't because he or she never did do, you know, get up with the kids or have the kids an entire weekend or do homework with the kids or whatever it might be. And that's a dangerous belief to hold because just because they haven't doesn't mean they can't and it doesn't mean they won't. And so what I would really like to dig into, Larry, is more as it refers to what I'm going to fight for legally. What are some of the things that that maybe you talk about in your book or your that come up in these early stages where there's disagreement based on those kinds of limiting beliefs? 
Well, uh, another good point. One, uh, unfortunately, uh, the time that the most critical decisions are made in divorce is right at the beginning. Um, and and the, the two most important decisions are what kind of divorce you're going to have and uh, if you're going to hire a lawyer, what kind of lawyer are you going to hire? Because uh, those two decisions um, frame what's going to everything that's going to come afterward. So if you decide on uh, there are two kinds of divorces uh, there are the traditional court-based divorce um, either with lawyers or without um, where you're kind of at the mercy of what's called the adversarial system that's the system on which our, our courts are based it it was developed in medieval times uh, where the the models for resolving disputes were trial by ordeal and, and uh, trial by battle. And anyone who's gone through a custody uh, case knows that there's a lot of ordeal and a lot of battle still left in the court system. So the kind of thing that you want to do, if you possibly can, is talk about the fact that you have a choice of the kind of divorce you want uh, and discuss that with your co-parent, discuss the uh, expense um, that uh, going through the court system causes, discuss the fact that there's um, conflict built into it. Um, and then the alternative, uh, or the alternatives are things like mediation and collaborative divorce. And I think those are the kinds of things to focus on uh, very early. Um, and then, of course, what kind of divorce professionals you're, you're going you're gonna to want. There, there are professionals other than lawyers uh, who are quite important. There are divorce coaches. There are um, parenting facilitators. Um, there are, of course, uh, therapists um, who can help you, family therapists. Uh, who can help you deal with the kids. Um, and if the kids themselves are uh, uh, feeling distress, um, who can uh, evaluate the kids as well, not, not, not uh, to report to the court or anything, but just uh, for the kids' own good. So those are the kinds of things, I think, to do early on. You know, I think couching that kind of a conversation like this, I'm, I'm listening to you and I'm thinking, you know, I could say to my soon to be ex, uh, you know, divorce can get really expensive um, and and confrontational. And we could actually end up fighting about that. But if it's couched in um, what would be best for our kids Right. Because that that really does bring it to another level. It's like, look, we're clearly not getting along. We're clearly going down this path. Maybe you don't want it or he or she doesn't want it. But but it's where we're going. Can we look at how we're going to enter into this uh, with keeping the children front and center? And and then I think the conversation about uh, litigation being more a higher conflict and higher expense uh, is going to be received by the other parent so much better because it's couched in what's best for the kids here. You know, how can we make sure that that they're taken care of as we go through this negotiation? Right. Uh, that's a hard principle to argue with. 
uh, let's operate from the standpoint of, of what's best for the kids. I mean, no one's going to say, no, I, <laughs> that's not important to me, or hardly anyone hopefully will say that. Um, so, you know, that is a good place, the best place to start. And that conversation needs to happen as quickly as possible um, before lawyers are hired and before, um, you know, lines are drawn in the sand. Absolutely. And for those of you um, who are hearing this and wanting more detail on the lawyers and how to pick one and the right process, uh, we have done we've done a bunch of shows on that on litigation, mediation, collaboration. So please go back and make sure to listen to those because we tried to cover all of the key talking points and give you as much information as we could on that. So we're going to be we're not focusing on that too much today. But so you want to pick the right process and uh, a, a low conflict um, process if you can. And you definitely want to interview the attorney and make sure that your attorney is on the same page with you, that they're not a shark, that they're not looking to you know, nail your spouse um, or, or take him or her for all they're worth. Um, Okay, so let's say we've we've gotten that done. Um, what's the next step, Larry, to really protecting the kids? Well, you you, you hit on uh, the beginning of it, which is when you interview a lawyer, make sure that that lawyer understands what your priorities are, um, that the well-being of your kids uh, is tantamount. Um, and, you know, a mistake that's often made is people hear about the, the barracuda or the shark uh, lawyer in town who you know, takes no prisoners. Um, that's likely to be a lawyer uh, who is going to um, act contrary to your kid's best interest, because the more conflict there is, uh, the longer divorces take. Um, the kids feel the conflict, whether or not it's played out in front of them, uh, they're, they're aware of it. And so it's critical to, to get that, uh, that right lawyer. Um, and again, if you've made the choice um, to try mediation or, or something like that, then uh, you need to suggest that let's talk about the kids first. Um, when I mediate, I usually take um, children's issues first because there's uh, often more of a consensus on that. Uh, the parents have talked about it more. They understand their own kids' needs. And again, uh, if you aren't able to settle your case, either in a traditional court-based case or a mediation case, and you leave the decisions up to a, a third party, a judge, that judge is not going to know your kids like you do. They're not going to be the details in, a, in a, uh, an order from the court that you can put in your own agreement. So uh, it's a great way to build momentum uh, toward, uh, yes, toward agreement on things. It's to start with the children's issues. It, again, it makes them a priority, um, and uh, it... it uh, Start, it creates this momentum um, to get the rest of the issues resolved as well. Absolutely. I, I recently had a client who uh, she was really worried about custody, young child, toddler, and her partner uh, wasn't very active in parenting at all. And yet 
demanding 50-50, and they were not in the court system. They were in a uh, one of the alternative processes. And because divorce in many places doesn't happen overnight, I had really invited her to use the opportunity of time to invite her partner to start more actively parenting now. And I've seen this time and again, where it's like, if you're negotiating custody and your partner, your spouse is asking for something that's different than what they've typically done in the past, well, it's a new paradigm. Divorce is a new paradigm. So rather than assuming that they can't or fighting that they shouldn't, why not invite them into doing exactly what they're asking for and using this in-between time as an opportunity for both of you and the children to see how that pans out? What do you think of that idea? I think it's a great point, and it's something that that I've urged clients to do for years. Um, You can try things out. And now, um, some... I've had clients who've been worried, well, you know, if I allow this much time to my co-parent with the kids, isn't that going to set a precedent? Then I'll be stuck with it. And if you have that concern, um, you can do something very easily to address it. And that is just to write up a, a, a little letter agreement. It's a paragraph long. It says, we've agreed uh, to try the following schedule. Uh, it's without prejudice. And those are terms with with legal import. Uh, It's without prejudice uh, to uh, any uh, positions we may want to take in the future, uh, but we're just trying this out and uh, in the in the in the children's best interests and you both sign that and and you know that can come in handy um so that you're not faced with a situation where well you've you've done this we'll just keep doing it it is a great time to experiment and to see how the kids are reacting and the other thing is that again i I would tell clients is be careful what you wish for um sometimes uh, a parent will react um emotionally and say, well, I want a 50-50 arrangement, as, as you mentioned. And, you know, they really don't want and really can't handle uh, splitting the time uh, evenly with their co-parent, but they feel like if they don't demand that, then they're somehow giving up. Right. Well, again, you know, this is a time to kind of sort all that out and uh, find out that, you know, the logistics just don't work um, and they can have more time in the summer, uh, you know, to, to counterbalance uh, less time during the busy school week. Um, there, there are all sorts of uh, different uh, so I agree with you. It's a, it's a great time uh, to try things out, to get rid of unrealistic demands uh, that turn out to be impossible to meet. You've been listening to our podcast, Getting Educated regulating your emotional reactions and it's been really helpful yet you know you could do better be better and you're wanting and needing more support that's where our coaching service is a game changer we're here for you when you need us the most ensuring you have all the tools and resources at your fingertips guiding and supporting you to be more effective our free rapid relief call helps you gain a broader perspective, to 
commit to your best next steps and determine what coaching support is right for you. Visit rapidreliefcall.com to book your call today. The other thing that I find, I think that's a great point, Larry, and I think the other thing that I find is if you're currently negotiating custody and you have school-age children, I had school-age children when I was negotiating custody, and looking back, I definitely was negotiating custody for a five- and seven-year-old, but they don't stay five and seven, and so when you're negotiating, it's so easy to get locked into where they are right now and what they need right now. And yet, you know, you blink your eye and they're teenagers going off doing their own thing. And so what are some of the tips that you would give people when they're negotiating custody with their spouse in terms of taking that more long-term perspective? Well, uh, you've made one of them, which is that uh, parents need to keep that in mind, uh, keep the the uh, the long game in mind. Um, what I often would suggest and do suggest to people is they put something in their agreement uh, that says no agreement uh, will be successful unless the parents are flexible and show flexibility in the best interests of their children. So right away, you've got a language that shows that the parents understand uh, and appreciate the fact that, that you have to be flexible, um, that circumstances will change. The other thing you can do is you can actually put a provision in um, that you will review certain parts of your parenting plan. Parenting plan, I mean that the schedule with the kids and decision-making, uh, how the decisions are made, and all the rest. Um, that you can review it uh, at certain intervals if either if either parent wants it. Um, you might want to review it with uh, a mediator you've used or with a therapist you've used or um, a, uh, a parenting uh, facilitator who you've used. Um, so that gives the opportunity um, to, to let your agreement and be kind of a, a breathing, living uh, instrument because when <laughs> when kids get to be a certain age, uh, it's no different uh, from intact families. Uh, they're going to kind of do what they want anyway, um, and insistence on a rigid schedule is is not going to go well for either parent. So things do change. Uh, build that in. Build that uh, recognition into your agreement. Absolutely. And I really I want to suggest a, a website that I have um, sent so many of my clients to, because I think that part of it is, you know, if you have a six month old or you have a two year old or you have, you know, a, a child who's in the, on the younger stages and you're concerned about development and how much back and forth there is, those are just incredibly understandable concerns. And so the website is called Custody Exchange and it's custody X-C-H-A-N-G-E, custodyexchange.com. And they really 
highlight all of the different ages and the different things that you can take into consideration, uh, not just ages, but but different ideas for how to how to arrange uh, shared parenting time in a way that's best for your children. And so if you're if you're not quite sure and and you want to do some exploration, that's a great site to check out. Yeah, again, education, education, education. Uh, the more you learn uh, about the process, the less scary it becomes, and the more alternatives uh, you will realize uh, are available to you. Now, I really want to talk about all of the different resources available in the court system. And I know some of them are available through Alternative Resolution as well. And so I, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about high conflict divorces and some of the resources available to you, experts available to you as you figure this piece out. We're encouraging everyone to make every effort to communicate with their soon-to-be ex and to keep the children front and center. And that getting involved in the court system and, and in the conflict that comes, it can really be a recipe for disaster. And yet, there are also a lot of people who are engaged in very high-conflict divorces, whether it's dealing with a personality disorder or someone who has an addiction, somebody who's um, just really very uh, resistant to the entire process and just in conflict mode. How can you expect, uh, how can parents be expected to have those conversations and, and what can they do when they just can't talk to their soon-to-be ex about about the children and everything's high conflict? Well, unfortunately, there are cases where you need the court. Um, dealing with a, a spouse who has a personality disorder uh, or where there's untreated um, substance abuse or where there may be uh, uh, situations where children are put at risk. That's, that's what the courts are, are much more uh, able to deal with, and, and it's much more appropriate than um, to have the court take the lead in those cases. So I always say, listen, do everything you can possibly do, uh, even if you think you're, you're, your co-parent is impossible, um, you know, be a hero to your kids. Um, uh, kids at some point in their lives will look back and realize what went on. Most, most kids do. And so, you know, it may seem useless to you to, to make efforts to, to deal with a, uh, a really difficult or impossible co-parent, but make the effort anyway, because it just might work. And, uh, the risk, uh, of, of, not doing that uh, when there's a chance it might work it isn't worth taking. You know, again, if there's any chance that you can get your kids through this without battling, great. If you can't, um, there there are reasons. 
are available uh, through the court. And there, there are a number of uh, experts uh, and uh, facilitators. And there are really two kinds of, of people who are available. There are the uh, facilitators and then there are the evaluators. And if you get in, a, and we, we can you know, talk about both of those, if you get into a, a what we call a fully contested case, that's where uh, you haven't been able to agree on children's issues and, and you're going to have to at least start out uh, through the court system, um, these people will come into play. And um, uh, parenting, you know, I can I can talk about them individually if 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 you like, um, with the caveat that uh, these uh, procedures different in in different states. So you have right. to again check those pamphlets on your on your court system website. They can be invaluable. Yeah. So so let's let's go through them one at a time, and definitely if you're listening in. Uh, we're, now that we're talking about this very specific legal realm, there may even be different terms. So, so a forensic evaluator in one state might be a parent evaluator in another state or country. And so you definitely want to check into that. Uh, let's start with, uh, in, in New York State, we call them law guardians. The, 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 the attorney, when an attorney is actually assigned to represent the children, when does that happen? Why does that happen? And uh, and okay. how can that benefit the high conflict uh, situation? Well, there there are two kinds of, of lawyers uh, who are appointed uh, to represent kids. There are, and, and again, this this is a generality, but uh, there are lawyers who actually represent children. They're called attorneys for the minor child uh, or children's counsel, and uh, they are they represent generally the older kids, uh, kids who are able to uh, formulate their own preferences, decide what they want, and also to articulate uh, what they want. And those lawyers are uh, their job uh, is to represent the interests of their client, what their client wants, just as uh, they would do if they represented one of the parents. Then you have what's more often called uh, law guardians or guardians ad litem. Lawyers love to use Latin words. <laughs> feel smart and important. Uh, guardian ad litem means certain, simply a, a guardian of the children while the case is pending. Um, and the the role there is a little bit different. Um, in some states, it's limited to. Uh, representing kids who are young or for some reason unable to uh, formulate what they want or, or express uh, what they want. And their job is to advise the court as to what they feel is in the children's best interests. So that's different than advocating a position of the kids. That's different uh, than telling the court what the kids want. It's telling the court what this guardian feels is best for the kids. Um, and, you know, that's a very important role. Uh, sometimes they even testify and are cross-examined by uh, the parents' uh, lawyers. Um, but they will conduct, often will conduct interviews of the kids, of the parents, sometimes of teachers and other important adults in the kids' lives, uh, and come up with uh, a recommendation um, uh, to the court. 
Sometimes that role is uh, uh, filled also by court personnel, um, uh, court, uh, family court services uh, personnel who do uh, an in-depth investigation and a written recommendation, again, as to what custody arrangement uh, should be, uh, the court should adopt uh, for the kids. You've got so, uh, a couple of people telling uh, the court or giving their uh, opinions of, of what's best. So I think that the most important thing to understand is if you and your soon-to-be ex are completely getting nowhere, negotiating custody and shared parenting, and you're in the court system, they're basically their the court's perspective is you can't represent your child because you're representing your interests and he or she is representing theirs, and then. And so they bring in another party, another attorney who is neutral to either of your interests and totally uh, focusing on your child's. And as you explained, Larry, depending on the age of the child, they get that information one way or another. The other thing that I know um, some courts have is a, a mediator where that's a court court-assigned mediator where the court will tell the parents to go and sit with the mediator who is experienced in helping a couple negotiate custody. Right. Um, and that is some uh, the role sometimes performed by that same family court services uh, person um, who's experienced in, in dealing with these issues, has mediation training, um, and is um, uh, tunes in to the mix between the parents and tries to figure out uh, what might be best. Uh, they don't impose decisions. They don't make decisions for the parents, right. uh, but they help them. They facilitate um, uh, the parents uh, going along a path toward their own agreement. The, the problem uh, uh, sometimes is, is that it's very limited. It might be uh, one session. Uh, with this mediator uh, in some counties and some states, which is, you know, better than nothing, but uh, it, it's it's uh, hard to do it in one session. Um, you might ask the court in that kind of situation if you can have another session, um, and you know, if you see it going somewhere, um, then that's well worth pursuing. Again. Anything that keeps you uh, out of the courtroom and moves the process along uh, more quickly uh, is uh, in your kid's best interest. Absolutely. And when we started this section, you said something I kind of want to play devil's advocate a little bit here. If you've been in a relationship with somebody who's uh, controlling, narcissistic, has psychopathic tendencies, uh, has been verbally, emotionally, physically abusive, then then it's really important um, that you get outside support when making this decision, because it's easy to be bullied by that person into a shared parenting arrangement that in your heart, like you intuitively know, isn't good for your children. And so because I work with so many people in high conflict divorce where they've really lost um, 
they've lost themselves. And so the voice in their head is that of their of their controlling spouse, that it's really important that you get that outside support so that you can be clear. And it's not about adding to the conflict. It's about doing what's best for the children. And that brings me to um, another resource, Larry. Can you talk a little bit about the forensic psychologist, um, the forensic evaluate evaluation? Sure. Um, in Many cases, uh, what we call these high conflict cases where there is a, a custody battle, uh, the court might appoint uh, a psychologist or other mental health professional to evaluate uh, the parents, uh, to evaluate, uh, and by that I mean uh, their abilities uh, as, as parents, um, and to evaluate the needs of, of the children. Now. This, even though this may be a psychologist, uh, he or she is not there to treat anyone. Um, uh, he, uh, is there to make a report back to the court, and so, you know, it. it Parents sometimes make the mistake of thinking that these folks are, are there to to help them uh, deal with their spouse, and that's not the case. There are other people I haven't mentioned yet who are there for that purpose. Um, but that's the role of a, of a forensic uh, psychologist. And again, they will conduct interviews. Um, and, you know, I, I, I do tell par uh, parents, because I'm asked this question a lot, you know, how do I, you know, how do I handle uh, the interview with the, with the forensic psychologist? And how do I handle uh, the interview with these other professionals? And, and my answer is usually, you know, it, it's not so much a question of handling them as it is doing the right thing as parents leading up to that interview. Um, and then when you go in the interview, you can simply tell them uh, what you've been doing for your kids. Um, and of course, it's not about bashing the other parent. Um, if you come from uh, the place of this is what I think is best for my uh, children and here's why, you can certainly give an honest appraisal of, of um, what you think uh, the shortcomings of your, of your co-parent are, but not in an angry way, not in an emotional way, um, a way that is keyed to this is why, you know, Johnny wouldn't do well uh, living with my co-parent because this is the kind of thing that happens. Um, and again, a lot of it has to do with the way uh, you present it. But all of that um, will fall on deaf ears if you haven't done the preparation. And by that, I mean, if you haven't done your very best um, to um, keep the, uh, the uh, emotions down, hard as it is it's easy always easy for us to talk about what parents should do uh, we're not we're not in this maelstrom in this in this uh, storm um but you you know do the best to keep your head and then when you do get the chance to talk to a forensic psychologist you can just lay it out um in a, in a very methodical way what you've been doing why you think it's in best interest best interest of the kids and why you think an alternative would not be in their best interest. Always come from what's best for the kids. Come Absolutely. From that you know, I can't agree with you more. And I had uh, one heartbreaking situation where I had a client who was who was abused um, emotionally and even occasionally physically. And she um, she had 
done some spiteful things with the child that, uh, that when they went through forensics, uh, she was seen in as negative a light as, as the dad was. And, uh, and the decisions that were made were really heartbreaking about what was best for, for their child. And so it's so important that one of the things we always talk about, Larry, with our clients is go through this process with grace and dignity, always take the high road. And especially when it comes to your children, it's going to be a good example to show them. It's going to be the the best gift that you can give them. And it's also going to have the most positive impact for you and them going forward. So I couldn't agree with you more. Right. Uh, parents need to remember that what they're doing and how they conduct themselves was a model, a parenting model for their kids. Um, and so I always tell my clients, picture yourself 15 or 20 years from now, looking back on, on what you did and why you did it. And, you know, with that perspective, and again, I mentioned before, you know, be a hero uh, to your kids. With that perspective, you know, do what you think uh, you'll be proud of having done 20 years from now. Yeah, absolutely. So I have two more um, resources on my list. One is a parent coordinator. Can you speak to what that the role of that person is? Yeah, uh, a parenting coordinator uh, in states where they have them uh, can be a, a very key person. In some states, they're appointed by the court, and they, they usually are appointed by the court, um, in, only in high-conflict divorces. Uh, and their role is to um, assist parents to the extent that they can uh, in resolving disputes. Um, but they can go beyond that in a lot of places, and they can actually make some uh, decisions on on uh, disputes that come up, whether it's, uh, you know, the, the Wednesday night visitation is not working out, my co-parent is always late, uh, returns the kids uh, way past their bedtime, that, that kind of thing. Um, and the parenting coordinator can uh, make decisions on that that are, of course, subject to the court's review. So they can have kind of a, a, a dual role um, that is first, as I remember before I, I talked about evaluators and facilitators, there's actually a third uh, type of person, and that's a decision maker. That's generally, if the parents can't do it, that'll be the judge. But parenting coordinators can also make these kind of short-term decisions, and that's why uh, they're so important. And they're a very useful uh, tool. Uh, in some states, they're only used uh, after the divorce, uh, when disputes come up uh, over the agreement or the judge's order, uh, to resolve those, um, but they are they are key players. Yeah, I, I was. We were told when I was going through my divorce that we should uh, that we should uh, have a parent coordinator because there was so much conflict, and a number of my clients, some have used parent coordinators in negotiating the shared parenting and the custody. And the truth is that after you, after you've got a signed settlement, conflict is going to arise. And if you don't want to go back to court, 
the parent coordinator is often a really great uh, place to go and work through those conflicts uh, and and save money, save time, and work with someone who's a specialist and knows. And so I think that the parent coordinator is a great resource for any of you who are going into this knowing, I've got years of co-parenting with this person and we don't, we don't agree easily. It's not an easy, um, co-parenting. And certainly there's that concept of parallel parenting with someone that you just can't co-parent with. Again, that parent coordinator, I believe, can be a really, really helpful resource. Right. Um, They are. And, and, you know, I've had cases where we've settled uh, the case relatively quickly and easily. And the bigger problems happen after the divorce. So why why do you, why you say would that possibly happen? And I'll just throw in a quick tip here. It often happens because one of the uh, parents' new uh, boyfriends or girlfriends or husbands or wife gets involved, and that can uh, turn what's uh, you know a workable co-parenting relationship after divorce into something that isn't. So, you know, be very careful with that. It's always best uh, if the two parents um, and someone like a, a parenting coordinator uh, can do it without anybody else involved. Great tip. Great suggestion. And finally, I have a client who uh, has a very young child and they um, they were in mediation and they engaged a parent specialist just to understand uh the the needs of the child at that age and the developmental stages that that child would go through and how to how to be aware of that as they created custody. So can you speak a little bit about parent specialists and the role that they play and when they're most valuable to engage? Sure. Uh- Parenting specialists um, are usually involved in cases where you're not in the courthouse uh, fighting it out. Um, Not always, but usually. So um, mediators use them um, in collaborative divorce, uh, which is um, working toward an agreement with uh, lawyers and with other um, divorce professionals as well, use uh, parenting specialists. Um, They are um, often, but not uh, always, uh, mental health professionals. Um, But they help uh, not only uh, parents reach an agreement, but to understand uh, what their kids uh, are thinking and and wanting. Um, There are, you know, there's a group of kids who kind of shut down during divorce and and are not telling their parents uh, what they really want and what they really need. And uh, parenting specialists can be really helpful with that uh, because you don't want to go and negotiate an agreement that you think is in your kid's best interest only to find out that it's something that they they hate uh, and are going to be really stubborn about uh, um, following through on. So that's uh, a really important role as well. 
Thanks, Larry. So, you know, you've covered so much really valuable information with us. I know that you have this book, uh, Divorce Simply Stated, and um, the short film, Talk to Strangers. Can you just tell us, tell our listeners a little bit about which, what each of those offers and how they can access those resources and access you if they're interested? Sure. Uh, I'll start with the film, Talk to Strangers. Um, We made uh, Talk to Strangers um, to be used by parents who are facing uh, a difficult co-parent to show them what's going to happen if they can't reach an agreement, what the court system looks like to kids what the interviews by a forensic psychologist, by an attorney uh, for for the child or a guardian for the child, uh, an interview by the the court services uh, counselor, what that like to a child, what the disruptions in their lives uh, cause them. Uh, And of course, the the anxiety that accompanies all that and, and, um, you know, goes, the longer these kids are anxious, uh, and the more difficult it is for them. So um, our film covers uh, 11 months uh, of two kids uh, going through this process. And again, it's, it's, a, it's a story uh, of one family. It's a 25-minute film. Uh, I've, I just yeah. want to jump in and say I've watched the film. It's so powerful, and it gives you such a brilliant look into the child's perspective. And so if you're, um, if you're curious about this, I, I really encourage you to, to purchase the film and to watch it and to have your soon to be ex watch it as well, especially if you're in the early stages so that you can, so that you can make your decisions with this, this really solid understanding of the impact. So Larry, how do they access the film? Uh, you can get it, uh, you can stream it or buy the DVD, and it comes with a parenting guide uh, at childcustodyfilm.com. Um, and again, we, we've seen it turn uh, parents back from the, from the cliff. Uh, we've seen uh, parents watch this film and say, okay, we're not going uh, to go through the court system. We've got to resolve this ourselves. Beautiful. Beautiful. And then divorce simply stated what I think that's a much broader perspective. Can you just share for a minute what that is and how our listeners can access that? Right. Uh, Divorce simply stated, uh, I wrote um, after all these years of practice, um, I I've uh, actually accumulated some uh, tips and strategies and um, that I've used for my clients. And I wanted to to put that in a book. Uh, So it's a book that covers the divorce essentials. You'll, you'll learn about property settlement and child custody and alimony and, and, and everything. Um, but it adds to that uh, the, the tips and strategies that will allow you to be smart about your divorce, to save money. Um, I explain things about how attorneys uh, bill their clients uh, that lawyers don't like to talk about and may explain why I sit alone at bar association lunches. But, um, you know, things that really people should know. Um, There are lots of ways to save money uh, in divorce and to maximize your results uh, while you're doing it. And at the same time, um, I I tried to to make it 
a compassionate book. Um, it's, it's illustrated by my granddaughter, uh, drawings that she did in school. And the reason for that is to keep parents focused on, um, on their uh, children. Mm. Um, it's so easy, as you know, Karen, uh, with all the swirling around you to kind of forget the little ones around you from time to time. And so those drawings are in there for that reason. And <clears throat> Divorce Simply Stated is available at Amazon.com. You can get it uh, on uh, Barnes & Noble online. Um, so, you know, that that's uh, it's it's easily obtained. Beautiful. And it's, and it's you know less than three hundred pages. It's a small book uh, as these things go, uh, and that's by design. Um, it, it hopefully will not overwhelm people, uh, but it will give them you know what they really need to know. And again, you know these strategies, you know how to stop a cross examiner in his tracks, and on and on and on. Perfect. And if our if our listeners want to reach out to you, um, how can they contact you? Uh, they can uh, get me at info at divorcesimplystated.com. dot com. Info at divorcesimplystated.com. If you'd like to reach out to Larry with any questions or learn more about his services. So, Larry, thank you so much. This has been incredibly uh, valuable and just chock full of information. Larry, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. Um, I, I admire the work that you do. And, and again, the fact that folks are listening to this um, means that they're starting in the right place. And, and you know, I, I, I wish them the best of luck and, and hope that they continue educating themselves about this process. Of course, your friends and loved ones deeply care about you. But if you're honest, while they mean well, when it comes to your divorce, they just don't get it. And sometimes you leave those conversations feeling even more isolated. If you're lonely and craving connection and support, check out our high-conflict divorce support group, where an intimate group of 12 people gather from the comfort of their homes to hear, see, and encourage each other, while our JBD team of coaches provide emotional support and practical guidance. There's no reason to take this journey alone. If you've been yearning for support, go to journeybeyonddivorce.com backslash HCDSG and register today. for joining us on the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast. I hope you found guidance and encouragement to help you along your journey. If you like my podcast, please take a minute to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. You can also visit us at jbddivorcesupport.com, where our team of coaches support both men and women through our one-on-one coaching, group programs, online courses, and free resources. Stay tuned for our next episode, and I'll talk to you soon.